0: It's the Conflab. It means an intimate or private discussion or conversation. Well, welcome back to the Conflab with Nath Cartledge, everyone. Hey, Josh.
1: Hey, mate. How are you?
0: Good. Hey, we've got Josh coming on today. I'm so excited about this. Joshy grew up right alongside my eldest son, Miles. Actually, I've only got one son, so he has to be the eldest son.
1: Oh, the second oldest.
0: Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and very close to my eldest daughter, Mia. And Joshie was a part of our family, and I, I treat him like a son. So really excited to have him on. There's a purpose for him being on today. So Josh grew up on the Gold Coast, local Burley boy. Burley Heads is an iconic place on the Gold Coast, pretty well right smack in the middle and it's got a beautiful headland. And so that's where Joshy grew up. Uh, he's a very creative person. Um, and I, don't, I think a lot of people miss misunderstand Josh because of his creativity. Um, he's a social butterfly that still so, suffers with social anxiety. But the main thing about Josh is his family. Like he has got the most amazing family. And a big shout out to Kevin Judy's parents. Uh, we love them. They've been great support to us over, the, over our journey so far as well in life. And he's got a one brother, two sisters, all older than him. He came along as a little surprise, uh, which was really cool because there's no bad things. Postman's kid. Postman. <laughs> I'll let you argue with your dad over that one. <laughs> um, Josh, he, well, when he jumped out of school, he jumped into the into the trade force and became a tiler and spent a lot of time on building sites and hated every minute of it from what I understand, but we'll get into that. And so we'll fast forward about 2021, he started training in jiu-jitsu for a fight and he had a fight um, and then a couple of weeks later he had a stroke training one night and, you know, so we want to dig into that as well. You know, one of Josh's passions is along with family, uh, is surfing, skating and cooking. They're his passions and now is – is a proud owner of a, an incredible um, sandwich shop, MCs. So big shout out there to MCs as well. So Josh, you just give you a, a couple of minutes, um, jump in and intro yourself. And
1: Thanks, Nate. Um, yeah, I guess you pretty much summed it up pretty well. Um, I've been, yeah, you guys are like family to me and then me and Miles grew up, Mia, everyone, all the family, Ruby, Lily. Amanda's basically a second mum. Um you're obviously a second dad. But yeah, we just grew up in Burley and then yeah, I don't know, you pretty much summed up my life.
0: Spent a couple of years at Whistler though.
1: Yeah, I spent some years overseas doing some stuff, just snowboarding and then being an idiot and broke broke some legs over there and had to get mum and dad to come save me. <laughs> give me some money. <laughs> um and then yeah, came back, kept kind of working away in the trade industry. Like you said, hated every second of it. It's just a very dark place to work. It's not not that fun when you work on high rises and big, big jobs, you know what I mean?
0: Just explain for me that. Why is it dark?
1: Just a lot of, I guess like I was young, so, well, still am young, but it was from when I came home from Whistler. Oh, before I left, sorry, I was working... On like the bridges and stuff up in Brusy, and um, you're just dealing with people that are working eighty hours every week, and it's it's getting better now. But at the time, it was male driven industry. You know, now you have a lot of females in the industry, but back then it was that, we're talking ten years ago. Now it was so male driven, and you'd have men doing eighty hour weeks, and then obviously they're not going home at any reasonable time. They're not seeing their family. They're not seeing their kids. And then you watch, like, honestly, I reckon within three years of being in that industry, I watched multiple marriages fall apart, you know? So,
0: like, the FIFO?
1: Yeah, sort of the FIFO stays. Before it was FIFO. So there's a lot That's of, what we used to do. Yeah,
0: there's a lot of focus on <clears> mental well-being in <throat> FIFO now, but there's not as much on.
1: Yeah, I think it's like, you know, it's not, oh, you've got it better than us because you get to go home every night. It's just that it's... A lot more predominant in FIFA, I think, because they are away. for, And, you know, I think a lot of people can go, oh, well, he or she's away for three weeks of the month. You know, they're by themselves. That's why they're in that dark place. Or that's why they're not, you know, they've got a gambling problem or whatever it is. Like that's where they build these unhealthy habits because they're not around good people to help them get better.
0: So that's the same on these building sites? It's
1: the exact same. Like it's the exact same. People, you know, will probably argue that point, but it's like a junkie, man. Like they can find that shit wherever they want. Yeah. You can you can take the junkie out of the the slums, but you can't take the junkie out of the junkie. Yeah. You know, they're still gonna find it. And it's sort of the same with like it's a good Yeah, it's well it's the same with, you know, if you're going through a dark time. You can go anywhere in the world, but the dark place is in your head. Mm. It's not where you are. Mm. It's all upstairs. Like, yeah. So, you know, yeah, you might find yourself in a better place surrounded by better people and that might help you get out of that dark place, but you've still got to go within to find it, you know.
0: So my observation, well we, we're not even getting into the questions yet, which is really cool, but my observation of these building sites and the FIFO thing and all that is money. That's the lure is money.
1: That's exactly right. And people want their partners to go work away because, hey, you're going to make this $5,000 a week. We're going to be able to pay off a house. Early. We'll pay off half our house and do that's this. all well and good. But if you're not there to enjoy half the house with your partner or your spouse, what's the fucking point? Like because yeah. you're at the mines working 100 hours a week thinking about your partner at home and your kids growing up that you're not getting to watch. Yeah, cool, you've paid for half your house but like – yeah. You know, you could have just probably gone and worked a 40-hour week, paid for what you can afford yeah. instead of, you know, thinking that you can afford these big crazy places. Yeah. So I, I think it just is a snowball effect. Yeah. And I, I think, think it's a trap. I think people get trapped mm-hmm. into it. And I got trapped in when I was 20, there you know. Go. Oh, sorry, like 19. Like dad got me a job and I was like, Hell yeah, I'm 19 making two and a half grand a week. Yeah, like money take money. my money, dude. I'll spend everything. And I didn't do shit with it. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, I you had like a good time. A you had a good time. Yeah, exactly. At but the time. Yeah, you have a good time, exactly. I had no one to report to. Yeah. You know what I mean? Not yeah. report to, but I had. it was just me. So I could do whatever I wanted. Yeah, I could spend the money. I didn't care. But you,
0: but, you know, like I think it's becoming fast. There's a lot more awareness around the fact that you can get more money, you just can't get more time. And I think these things, like they've got to be done. Those jobs have got to be done. The, you know, the building sites, they've they, they've got to, you know, we're in an advancing society. So, uh, you know, the mining industry is is booming. The, the building industry is booming. So it's going to happen. Now, I think that people need to take back their time rather than chase money. And that's my, yeah. you know.
1: Exactly. I think that's exactly right. I think it's a means to an end. Yeah, like I think I think people need to see it as a means to an end, not a forever. Yeah, there you go. That's which great. is which is what a lot of people think when they go into it. Oh, it's a means to an end, and then they get stuck in the trap yeah. because they make all this money, and then they go, "Well, I'm making heaps more money than I thought I would. I can buy more stuff than I think I could," and then they're stuck paying debt, you know, because yeah. they've they've overcapitalized I've, on what they've got instead of being like, "This is a way to get out." If I do this now and smash it out, I can get out and I can go do whatever I want and chase a dream or whatever it is, you know. I can go bartend if that's what I like to do because I have a passion for it. But, yeah, it's just a a bit of a vicious cycle. Yeah. Which I found myself trapped in. I think that's, like, where I was going with that. Like, I found myself trapped in that cycle and then was just, like, had to be, like, I need to get the fuck out of here because this is going to end one of two ways, you know. Mm. So, yeah.
0: Yeah, well, <laughs> great start. Yeah. Um, you know, so just like we've had a bit of a snapshot of your bio and but if, if I could ask you a question for the listeners, I, I understand you a fair bit but if, if you had like one minute to explain who is Josh Cumming to our listeners, who would that be? How would you say it?
1: I knew this question was coming. Well, yeah, because I had it on the list. I know, but I was like, even before I saw the list, I was like, this question is going to come. I don't know, like, I struggle with this because...
0: Just, just before you do answer, I just want to say something and release this for, because I will be asking this question pretty well on every guest. Yeah. But there is no wrong answer.
1: No, yeah, I know that. I understand that. I understand the basis of the question. It's just, for me, it's one of those ones that it's like, you have to really look inside and figure it out. And that's the hardest thing, I think, is like doing that, being able to sit back and look inside and try and figure out who you are. So like for me, I am who I am. And I don't – I struggle to find the words to explain that to someone. I can, I can show you who I am. Like you can be around me and be in my presence. And I feel like I'm pretty much an open book where within, you know, five to ten minutes of being in my presence – you understand who I am. I'm very much about my family, my friends, my family. I don't even bother saying I have friends because they're all just family to me, whoever it is. Like if we're tight, we're tight and it's it's a down for life thing. Like we don't stray from that. Don't get me wrong, like if you scorn me, you're out. But like not straight away. Like there's always a chance to come back in. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me sort of thing but um yeah apart from that like i don't know i like i feel like if i tried to explain exactly who i was it would sound like i'm just got my head up my own ass you know what i mean like i'm a loving person i'm caring i'm all these things but for me i don't need to tell someone that i can show them and they can experience it
0: that's cool it's yeah. it, it, it's actually the the Probably the best example of how to present yourself. So let's put it a different way. There's something like 85 different emotions.
1: I reckon I've got about 200.
0: <laughs> <laughs> if you could use five emotions to explain who Josh is, what would they be?
1: Um, shit. Love, compassion, empathy. There might be 85 emotions, but I can't remember any of them. (laughs) Um, Yeah, love, compassion, empathy. Well,
0: that's enough. You don't have to have any more. Yeah,
1: I mean, pretty much it's like love. You know, I don't think, I think a lot of people beat around the bush with it, but like at the end of the day, everything that you do or like everything that you are should come from that emotion, in my opinion. Yeah. You know, you never do something out of a place of hate. You should never do that. Yeah. But if you do, if you're angry at someone and you come at them out of a place of love, it's only going to be welcomed. Okay. You know, so I think love. Like I think you, I like throw the five in the bin. I'll, I'll have the one.
0: Oh, that's good. I like it. So you know, you're a deeply an emotional feeler, and you have no problem displaying your vulnerability. Um, have you found that openness always met with compassion and empathy, or have you found people push you away? Because of this?
1: Yeah, I think it's hard. It's a hard one because I think it's – I have no problem. We just literally went through it. But, like, I have no problem saying exactly how I feel about something or exactly what's going on in my mind or expressing it. It's hard for people to hear it. And it's hard for people to think that because you're saying it to them, they need to do something about it. So it's, you know, if I was to sit here and say, hey, I'm not doing so well, mentally, you know, my body's fucked at the moment. Mentally, I'm not really well. I've Got so much stuff going on. The business is going crazy. I'm trying to do other stuff on the side. I'm trying to have a relationship. I'm trying to have a relationship with my friends, my family, you know, and I'm not doing so well. A lot of people sitting in your position would be like, let me help or, or I need to help. But fuck, I'm not, I'm not saying it to you because I want you to help me. I'm just saying it to you because sometimes you need to just say it out loud. I'm not asking for help. I'm just saying this is where I'm at. And like maybe I'm not giving you as a person exactly what you want from me at the moment and with me saying that to you, it lets you know what position I'm in. So you can go, oh, okay, like I've called Josh ten times this week. He hasn't answered. But we did have that conversation last week where he said he wasn't feeling really well. He's struggling with a lot of things. Maybe he's just got a lot going on, you know. So I think it pushes a lot of people away and I've, I've, I've noticed that. But, like, to be honest, if, they're gonna, if it's going to push them away, they can stay away, you know. And I don't mean that in a begrudgingly way, but, like, if you can't hear what I have to say and just take it on... You know, like, I think it's their own expectations of themselves in that situation and they don't, you know, they freak out and like, oh, distance.
0: Yeah, so as a human we have an innate need to help, help fix exactly. things. which yeah. is,
1: which And is, I do it. Like, yeah. I'm renowned for it. Like, Casey, every day Casey will come to me with a problem and I'm like, let's fix it. And she's like, I don't want you to fix it.
0: Yeah, it's, it's an innate thing that we have as humans. It's like a default that we've got to fix. It's because we get uncomfortable with other people's shit. Yeah, And It's because we we can't take that moment to listen. Like I understand all you want when you're actually saying I'm not doing well is someone to listen intently without showing emotion. It's called uh, active listening when we can just hold space for someone without giving them an answer, without actually – and it it actually sometimes means more than any sort of psychological answers. So it it, it can make people really uncomfortable but that – Josh, I would have to say that's why you're still on the planet, because I understand you've struggled pretty heavily with, uh, you know, with with you know up and down depression and anxiety in life, and you've got this amazing family support around you that's taught you how to speak. Yeah, and so for me that that would be, and I know there's a big support base around you, but sometimes I've recognised we had Dane Weston on in our last episode. He had an incredible support base around him, like some of the best coaches in the world and some of the best football players in the world, but still he struggled because he could not speak about it.
1: Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one. Like I think, yeah, I mean I've had a crazy support group. Like my family is insane. They're great. And my friends, you guys, like everyone is – So tight, like and I think I've been so vocal about it no matter what, that it's like they without even saying something to them, like Miles, for example, is my best mate, it's been my best mate since we were like you said, like out of the womb. But um he instantly like I don't have to say shit and he'll be like, Oi, how are you going? Like, are you all right? And that's enough, you know, that's enough for me to be like, oh. That – he cares, you know. So that – that's a big, big part of it. Um, I kind of just lost my train of thought.
0: Oh, I was – no. Sorry. I mean, we weren't even into any questions. I was just saying that's part of why I see you're still on the planet is because you're actually not afraid to show your vulnerability and, and you have this network around you that has made sure that you can be vulnerable.
1: Yeah, for sure. Like, I think because I can stand up and recognize – within myself when I'm not doing that well that I can turn around to someone and be like, hey, like I just want to say some stuff to you and, you know, it's not going to be something that you, you want to hear. It It's not something that you don't want to hear. Well, it is, but it's going to be something that you're going to feel very uncomfortable hearing. But if I don't express it, it's going to turn inside me and turn me inside out. Yeah. Like it's going to eat away from me from the inside out, which is – that's what depression is, you know. It just sits inside and lingers and you feed it and then it eventually consumes you. So I think I've had a lot of good people around me that I've been able to say that to. Um, Your mum and dad is not probably the best people to say that to because they're the last people that want to hear that shit, you know. It's hard. But I've had those conversations. You know, after the accident, like me and mum screaming at each other because she doesn't want me to go back and do jiu-jitsu or Muay Thai and me being like, or skate, like I can't even really skateboard anymore and we'll get into that or whatever. But like having these arguments with mum and like screaming at each other because she wants what's best for me. I want what's best for me, but I want what I want which isn't necessarily what's best for me. So, like, I wanted to keep skateboarding. Like, fuck what the doctor said. I wanted to keep doing Muay Thai. I wanted to keep doing Jiu-Jitsu. But the problem is there was a chance that if I did do those things, I wouldn't be here anymore. But then my argument back was, and that was mum's, you know, that was mum's concern. But then my argument back is if I can't do those things, what the fuck am I here for? You know, because that's what I, I, that's... Kind of goes back to your first question. Like, at that stage in my life, that's who I was, yeah. and that's who I was. If someone was to ask me, that's who I was. That's
0: how you released too,
1: and that's how, that was my release. Yeah. So if I can't do those things and and feel good from doing those things, what's the point in fucking living? And like, vocal. That was not me thinking that internally. That was me saying that to my mom,
0: yeah,
1: and then watching my mum, You know. You can see it in someone's eyes when they hear that and it breaks them from the inside out. And then me having to sit back after the heat of the moment and just wanting to fucking uppercut myself yeah. for not thinking. But again, it goes back to me just expressing how I was feeling, not necessarily I'm going to act on anything, but this is how I'm feeling right now.
0: Yeah. So it's a mature listener. Yeah. And, and I, I'm I'm so grateful that you've had... Even though, like, me watching from the outside sometimes, or me reading the label from the outside of the jar, um, I've watched you express stuff to people that probably can't handle it. But it's almost like you're looking for the mature listener, someone who can handle what you're the shit that you're just about to lay on them.
1: I think it's also like sometimes I'll see people that I know, you know, same thing, like, see it from reading the label like I'll, I'll see some shit on Instagram or whatever but like most of the people on, on Instagram I'm friends with like you know say we if we put it down to a percentage I'd say 80% of the people that I follow on Instagram are my friends and I'll see some people put some shit up and be like I know that's a cry for help like not necessarily like everyone look at me or anything like that but and it might be something that no one else would ever notice but I know that person, for example, like I have one in my head that I'm thinking of right now and I know that person and I know that all that is is a cry for help. You know, so sometimes as much as you get the person that can't handle you saying things at them, you'll get the person that you can say it to and it doesn't necessarily mean... I'm turning to them and being like, hey, I know you've got shit going on. This is what I've go- got going on and I'm not feeling all right. But just for me to sit there and have a conversation and open it up and be like, hey, man, like I'm struggling, you know.
0: It's an open door.
1: It's an open door, exactly. And then, you know, even if they go, fuck, yeah, me too. Yeah and you you like moment, you said you sit there and you just sit there and give them a space to talk yeah and they might open up and it it's going to ch- it might change the whole perspective of the day and if they get through that day
0: yeah
1: there's nothing to say they can't get through the next yeah, they, you know yeah. Isn't that good? and like who gives a fuck if for every say 10 people like if it, if we're talking about me say for every 10 people i say that to and there's nine people that can't handle it and they don't want to hear it because it's, you know, it's it's too soppy or whatever. If there's one person in that 10 that go, oh, you mean, I'm, yeah, I'm pretty shit as well. Yeah. And then they have a, a space to think about it. And they go, oh, well, I could speak to Josh about it, all right. Yeah. Like maybe I can speak to someone that I'm closer to, you know.
0: And that's that, what we were saying, like some people can't handle your vulnerability but what I've loved about you is you haven't stopped being vulnerable because you know that there's a human condition out there that can have a bent on people's mindsets and their, the way they think and, and it can cause depression and anxiety and then eventually evolve into a pretty heavy mental illness. So you've never been worried about being vulnerable and I can see both sides of that. So, I, And I want to come back to this because I can hear so much passion in your tone about this that I'm going to ask later on. Is this your mission? You know, is that really your mission? But we'll get down to that. I, I want to ask you this question is because of all this, do you have a belief that you anchor yourself into
1: Yeah, I do. Uh, I used to have it tattooed on me and it was on my grandfather's mantelpiece before he passed away and I was like, shit, I would have been 14 when he passed away but there was this mantelpiece. This...
0: He was a hero of yours, wasn't he? Yeah, he
1: was a bit of a hero of mine. Um he was an old asshole, but he was a hero. Yeah, he went a Cranky to, old man. Yeah, he went, but he went to... Yeah, he went to war and World War Two, and... um, Yeah, he was just... I spent... Mum and Dad, so you know this, but Dad was a, a chef for 25, 30 years or whatever. So he used to work the typical chef hours back then, split shifts, whatever. And Mum worked at the nursing home. So I would spend... Up until I went to school, I guess, I would... Or even actually when I went to school... I would spend, you know, from four till, say, seven o'clock, I would spend at Nan's house because no one else could look after me. Jai and Jodie and all that had already moved out. They were living their own life. And then I think I would even finish school and, oh, no, Dad would pick me up. But so I spent such a great deal of time with Nan and Pop. Not that they raised me, but, like, I spent a good three hours every day and then on weekends, if mum and dad had to do shit, I'd be at Nan and Pop.
0: Still had an impression on him.
1: Exactly. So I was around him, you know, and all I, all he used to watch was like these. Sh- that was sick – Steptoe and Son, I don't know if you remember <laughs> <Yes>. that. <laughs> and like Dad's Army, the old yeah. English comedy. So I like grew up and like that was, you know, like I still watch that shit yeah. because so. he had such an effect on me. Yeah. And that was like our bonding time, I guess. I was seven. I didn't understand what Dad's Army was. It was just funny show. stupid old men. Like. Show.
0: But so go back to this belief that your are Yeah, so had. he
1: had a, this mantle thing and it, it's, um, I shall pass through this world but once. Any good, therefore, that I can do or any kindness that I can show to a fellow creature, let me do it now. Let me not defer, nor neglect, for I shall not walk this way again.
0: Wow. Let's just give that a minute. Such a powerful quote.
1: Yeah, and I think that would be my belief because Summed up in that, that is my belief, and it's just treat people. Basically, if you pull it down to its its core, it's just treat people how you would like to be treated. Basically, you know, it sounds nice and jazzy. The golden rule. It's just the golden rule. Treat, but not even people. Just treat everything.
0: So we can say this stuff. We we can actually say this stuff, and I've got a lot of friends who have a faith belief in God. So we we and they can quote the different things. The big thing is do you live that rather than quote it? Do you have to quote it so you can convince yourself Well, Actually, do you live out of that? I live out of that. I know you live out of
1: that. I live out of that. Like I had it and like I said, I had it tattooed on me. It's covered up now. Like I have that off the top of my head. I can pull that out of anywhere. Like I know that is me to my core and I'll help everyone wherever I can and do anything for anyone. I know that's me and I'll treat people with the same respect I like to be treated. And like, it's just that's all it needs to be with anyone. Like you, you, know you, and you see people treating people terribly, and you go, "Fucking wait a minute!" Like if if they treated you like that, you it wouldn't go down so well. Exactly. So yeah, that that's probably you know I know it's not a religious like like you know it's well not it religious. is yeah it, it, it is it's it is. A, yeah it is it is
0: it's your um, it's your anchor
1: and I it's weird. That like
0: so a belief be a belief is and that's one of the things that I want to expose to everyone is a belief is some it's it's almost like a foundation that we anchor our life onto. And for some people they believe they have a faith in God, some people have a faith in other things. And and so that's what a belief really is. It's something that you anchor your life onto and something you live out of. And so you've just expressed to us that basically treat people how you want to be treated because you're only going to pass through this life once Yeah. and you're going to make an impression and it's it's what I would call legacy and um, how to make sure that we change the world because it's our right, our job to change the world yeah. and we spoke about that in, in uh, the last episode we recorded just with me and um, so I, I just want to now get a little deeper with you Josh and I know that we've already been deep and I, I was say, was
1: that not deep enough? <laughs> no <laughs>
0: You have this beautiful belief that you adopted from your pop, but we, but we both know that you have struggled with mental health. So I want to ask you, when did you start and where did it come from?
1: Yeah. Well, you know, at what
0: point of, in your life did you start struggling
1: oh, It's a hard one because I've done a few different things with doctors and, you know, like gone to a psychologist and stuff like that and they all ask the same question. and It's where does it stem from?
0: It's no, I didn't ask where it started. No, from. I know. Uh, no, <laughs> well, I want to know when did it start. When
1: did it? Or oh, exactly. So like, when did it start, or whatever? It's it's a hard thing to put a finger on because I think it's a slow burn. So I think it started. You know, I remember having anxiety when I was.
0: Hang on, I'm just going to pause you there. It's a slow burn, um, because that's something that we talk about quite a lot when we have already in the past, is that realizing that um, emotions are ever-evolving, wherever they start, wherever the stigma is, where, whatever happened, whatever trauma happened or whatever impression you were given, it's a slow burn from there to it, – it's not a minute. And no. we, heard, we heard from Dane last week uh, or two weeks ago, we heard from Dane, he was diagnosed when he was 24 but he probably started struggling from a small stigma when he was around six or seven. And – it wasn't until he was nearly uh, 28, yeah. 27, that the full exposure of that. So that's 18 years of struggling with it. – it was a slow burn. So let's go back to that.
1: Yeah, 100%. Um, so, yeah, I probably, you know, I remember when I was 13 in high school, like, and suffered – didn't realise that it was like this crazy washing over of anxiety, didn't understand what it was, you know. Did you
0: try and compensate with your social?
1: Um, yeah, I guess a little bit. Like I'm pretty. I can walk in a room and and jazz it up, you know. I can walk in a room and. And pretend. that's what I'm
0: saying. Was that was that to hide it? Yeah,
1: for was sure. Was that to mask yeah, it? Yeah, for sure. Hundred percent. Like if people are looking at me, they're not gonna look into me. Do you know what I mean? So I can I can be I can be a charismatic charismatic and funny dude but like if that's my shield and you're not looking any further then that's me that's getting me through the party or the event or wherever we are you know what i mean so i think um yeah from a very early age of high school scary man like i still remember that shit and i'm 30 now but like going into high school it's such a big thing for kids and like, you've got to meet all new friends and like, yeah, you have mates that you go with, but then you've reintroduced a whole new group of school kids and everything like that. So I remember that from being like 13. And then, yeah, like I said, it was just a slow burn. I didn't, I didn't recognize it. I didn't know what it was. I didn't realize I was riddled with anxiety about, you know, getting up in front of class and speaking. And I just thought I oh, was a kid that Everyone struggles with that because it's public speaking. It sucks, you know, but shoot on. And like, even at Miles's wedding, like I fucking can't, man. Like I just get up in front of people and my whole body shuts down Mm. and like,
0: yeah, sorry. I,
1: I, yeah, it threw me under the bus. <laughs> Whatever. It's all right. I get it. Twice, too. But no. But, but
0: didn't Jed come home with an
1: incredible Oh, no, Jed, Jed brings it home because he knows I'm sitting there shaking and sweating behind my ears. A bit of a shout-out um, to you, Jed. Yeah. We miss you, mate. Yeah, Jed, like, 100%. He, Jed was good like that, man. Like, he would always recognise when I was in a position that I didn't want to be in. And he'd step up. And he'd step up and bring it home.
0: That's a good mate. Yeah,
1: that is good, mate. Miles the same, too, yeah. but... Miles was normally too drunk to step up and <laughs> say shit. But, yeah, I mean, it was a very slow burn to, um, like, high school, whatever. like, And I think also, like, you find things to cope, whether it be alcohol or drugs or whatever. Because you go, for this, however long it lasts, drinking or whatever, I don't have to feel that, you know and alcohol 100% makes you feel a little bit more confident and stuff like that but i wouldn't really get that like i wouldn't drink alcohol and feel more confident i'd just kind of forget that i was anxious so there's
0: a lot of coping mechanisms with this sort of stuff when you're masking and, and they're not and they're not it's not just alcohol and drugs which they're probably two of the most prolific
1: but i think they're, they're just the ones that people
0: people anchor to you know there's also to, like oh, yeah yeah lots of different addictions 100% but it's all a mask isn't it
1: yeah absolutely and like you know, fast forward now, I don't, I I, don't, I barely drink, you know, now, like I've kind of come full circle and I'll still have a beer or, you know, go to Miles's, play golf, have a beer or whatever, but I'm not getting drunk and like smashing beers. Cause like I actually did it with my psychologist and he was like, how many, when you go out, do you feel anxious? And I'm like, absolutely. Like there's, 100 people that I've got to talk to or not necessarily have to talk to them but if I don't talk I look like a fucking arsehole because I've been told I'm quite intimidating looking but like if you get to know me I'm not intimidating at all but because I shell up because I'm having an anxiety attack and don't talk people think that it's like resting bitch face you know what I mean so I will sit there and pound beers so I don't feel like that so I then have like, you know, I'll start smiling because I'm drunk. And he goes, how many how many drinks? Like, how quick do you drink your drinks? And I was like, oh, I have noticed that, like, for my three, someone will drink one. Wow. And he's like, that is pure anxiety. That's not you. You're trying to escape the reality in which you're in faster, as fast as you possibly can.
0: So I think we should make an emphasis of that and also allow space for other people to... To be able to talk to you about it in the future, like we'll get to how people can connect with you after this. But if you're listening to this and you find yourself in that space where you are actually got a bit of social anxiety, fine to have that. It's not okay to struggle with it alone. It's okay that you do. Yeah. But smashing drinks that quick to actually mask it is where all the problems start or smashing anything that quick, or yeah, doing exactly anything.
1: Right. Doing anything in excess like in, in that. In
0: excess is, is going to take you out really quickly. Um, so I want to shift gears just a small little bit. Like you grew up with two of the most hardworking parents and they loved you to death, right? You have great brother and sisters and a great brother-in-law around your whole life as support network. What did you miss out on? And I'm talking directly about the mental... Stuff. What? Why'd you miss out on that that?
1: In a sense, or what are you? Um, I don't know. I, I, I guess I'm just going
0: to give this up because I'm trying to highlight. Because this is what happened in our last podcast with a guest. Is um, that just because you have great networks doesn't mean it's not it doesn't mean you'll fa- not fail. Yeah. Okay. Doesn't sorry. mean that you're so not that's, exposed to yeah,
1: it. Yeah. Because I was about to say like I didn't miss out on shit. Yeah. Like my parents were go. fucking legends, yeah. and my whole family: Jai, Brooke, Tim, Jody, Teesh and all my nephews and nieces, they're also all the best people in the world. I didn't miss out on shit growing up. Like if I wanted something, you know, I wasn't silver spoon fed, but, you know, dad would work hard, mum would work hard. And if we wanted a new surfboard, we'd have to work hard to get that, you know, we would, we were taught values. And in that I was taught all sorts of values. I didn't miss out on, you know, I didn't have abusive relationships. I didn't, I didn't have any of that. So that was like, I think that's the hardest thing too is that because everything was, you know, in some way a perfect world and a perfect upbringing, you know, it's not perfect. It's never going to be perfect. It's always shit. But I look back and I'm happy with the way that I was brought up. Like, we used to just do everything, you know, whatever we wanted. You guys would take us to the skate park on a Saturday morning by us McDonald's every Saturday. It'd be <laughs> you and Mum. <laughs> I remember, and you'd swap turns each week. Like we never, you know, we didn't go without. But like I like I was gonna say is the hardest thing about that is when you realize you have anxiety or like depression to to justify it to yourself is is so fucking hard because you're like I don't deserve to feel like this you know and that is such a weird strange feeling and like that's why that shit goes unattended and it is a slow burn and like you said with Dane like he went through that for his whole childhood and I I can't speak on his behalf but for me when I was like 21 22 23 24 I was like I don't deserve to feel like this not not like I don't deserve to be depressed. I mean I don't deserve to feel depressed because I've had it so good.
0: Well mate, you know what? He said exactly the same thing. Yeah. So it's it's, almost it's, word for word, exactly the same thing. So
1: yeah. It's a <laughs> just, it's a real strange feeling yeah. to feel like that. To feel like you're not you're not allowed to have those feelings. You know, that's, that's a, it still feels weird now.
0: How far did it get?
1: Um, oh, it got pretty close. It, got, there was a stage there where dad called or I called dad and I was driving down a back road of like tambourine, you know, out in the, the cornfields or whatever. And, um, I just said, I'm fucking not happy. Like I'm working I was working in construction in Brizzy. I fucking hate it. I fucking hate this. I hate feeling like this every day. I hate getting up. I hate doing this shit. And dad is is the ultimate feeler. Dad is a pussy. Yeah, he's a... You know, but like the greatest man ever. Yeah. And he just said, look, man, don't ever fucking tell your mother this because I'll deny it if she asks me. He goes, I... Fucking.
0: You're just about to tell your mother
1: this. <laughs> yeah, I know. She, no, well, I oh, know. Fast forward, me and mum have had the conversations <laughs> about me screaming at her. Um, he goes, Don't ever fucking tell your mother this because I'll never repeat it and I'll never say that I said it. But I sit by my phone waiting for a phone call to say you're no longer here. He goes, I don't know what you're doing now, but I love you and I want you to do whatever the fuck makes you happy. Get the fuck out of the industry if that's what's going to make you happy, you know? So, and that, like, on a back road in fucking the cornfields where it's long straight roads, I was like, now's my fucking chance, you know? I I can go if I want. Uh. But to be honest, I pulled the fucking car over and bawled my eyes out because I was just like, fucking do this shit to my old boy, you know? Like, fucking best. Like, I can't do this shit to my fucking dad, my mum, whatever. And that was it. Like he said it. And I think having him say it brought me back down to earth a little bit and being like, well, it's not just because in, it's not just about me. And this is going to sound really gnarly, but suicide is the most selfish thing you can do. And I don't mean that in the way that you probably think. I mean that when you're in that mindset, you're not thinking about any repercussions you're thinking about yourself and how you feel. So it's – I don't say selfish as a bad word, which a lot of people take selfishness as a bad thing, but when it comes to suicide, it's just completely selfish. There's no, no one on the outside matters in that situation. But, and, yeah. And,
0: a, I, and I've read some stuff about – and we'll get back to this and what you said in a minute. But I've read some stuff about how the mindset – is so strong when it comes to that um, suicide that you are convincing that you're doing everyone else a favour. Yeah, that's exactly right.
1: Yeah, Yeah, which is so misguided. Yeah. It's so misguided but – and no matter how much we all say that, the people that go through it, they don't don't believe that. They still believe that they are doing everyone a favour. But I think one thing that like I've kind of – always tried to repeat myself and like repeat to other people as well is like temporary uh sorry suicide is a temporary solution to a permanent solution to a temporary problem yeah you know so whatever it is it can be fixed you know not necessarily fixed but like we, you can work some shit out you know whether it be from gambling or like mental health or you know alcoholism whatever the whatever your your vice is Whatever it is, like, you know, there's plenty of things that we can do.
0: They're just symptoms anyway of the symptoms. Of the great Symptoms, exactly, force, you know
1: exactly. Saying. But there's plenty of things that we can do and, like, plenty of people we can talk to. We can go see. We can exercise. We can do all these things to try and get ourselves in that better mental place.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not the answer because you not being here fucking sucks yeah. for everyone involved. There's not one person on this earth when they find out you killed yourself that goes... Sweet. Glad that happened. You know, that just doesn't fucking happen. Yeah. Never. Like, whether, it, yeah, whatever, I don't know.
0: Yeah, no, well, mate, I appreciate you uh, being that open with us. And, um, yeah, we'll hold space for you all the time with this stuff. But, Always. But I, I know that that's why you're a bit of an advocate and passionate about it as well. And, you know, I want to shout out to Kev because it takes balls for a dad to be that honest, that vulnerable and... That direct to a to a son that he's he's not sure how he's feeling and, yeah. and it's a big shout out to the love that Kev shows you.
1: Yeah? yeah, he slapped me straight back. Like yeah. I just wasn't expecting it, you know what yeah. I mean? Like I think he just <laughs> I don't know how he knew exactly what to say. Yeah. But he, he just he yeah, he said it and I just was like fuck, like what do you where do you where do you go with that? Like yeah. how do you how do you do that? That's to- a,
0: a, a, a an experience. A very deep, expressive love yeah. that he showed you that you can't deny. And you can't run from it.
1: No, that's exactly that's, right. It's, it's, and it's, I caught, think, it's caught
0: you up. It's it's swallowed the darkness. It's almost like the light that comes. You know, we see darkness as a cloud, but it's almost like the light that comes. And, and like, like the if you
1: meet dad, he's a cranky old man, like, you know. And then he comes out with these one-liners that you're just like, you
0: motherfucker, where'd yeah. that come
1: from, you know? I, I
0: think he's a bit like a passion fruit though.
1: Yeah, he does. Hard on he, the outside and soft in the he middle. He is, 100%. Yeah. He,
0: I love your dad. He's, yeah. he's amazing. He's, a he's always got a great smile on his face, Kevy. Well, let's get down to the stroke, mate. What happened?
1: Yeah. I mean, I was, I think I was um, training three days, three times a day, you know, a lot. I was training Muay Thai and I did uh, uh, kind of like what you did the, I don't know, what do you call it? Like a 12 week challenge? Yeah. Where you fight someone at the end and, yeah. Don't get me wrong, dude, I never wanted to fight anyone in my life and I had so much anxiety about being in a fight. I never wanted to do it. I never wanted to punch someone in the head, let yeah. alone be punched in the head. Like, yeah, it's
0: funny because I thought I was the same until I got the opportunity to do it.
1: Yeah, I yeah, I, I loved, got in there and I still loved, didn't want to hit the dude oh, in the head. I loved head. it. Like, I
0: loved smacking someone else. Yeah, in the head. Really I
1: good. thought I would like maybe, you know, and Jed always used to say it actually, like – Quote Jed on this. Like he used to be like, I can't wait for the day that you snap because you are going to hurt some people. <laughs> but yeah, like I got, in the, I got in the ring and I did the 12-week challenge. I trained for way before that. But I got in the ring and like still couldn't bring myself. Like I just don't have it in me, you know. I'll avoid fights as much as possible. <laughs> I don't see the point in them. But yeah, I did it because I thought it was something that I had to overcome within myself. And I was like, this is going to help me with even social anxiety because I hate – I don't hate confrontation. Like I won't shy away from it, but I don't like it, you know. And I was like maybe getting in a, a position where someone's trying to literally knock me out, that it might upgrade me as a person, that I can handle these situations. But, and it definitely did. Like don't get me wrong. I definitely am not afraid if someone's yelling at me now. I'll be like, yeah, whatever. Like,
0: yeah,
1: you know, but then – so yeah, did that. And then was training jujitsu in between as well. So I was training three times a day. I'd do two, I'd do a morning session, Muay Thai, I'd go to work. I'd finish work early, tell the client I had to go pick some tools up. I'd go to jujitsu for an hour and a half. I'd go back to work and then I'd go train again at Muay Thai. So I was in this, I was working a lot. I was doing working Sundays, started my own tiling business. So I was working nonstop. I could work whenever I wanted. I'd train in between, I'd work, I'd train. And then I just went to jujitsu one afternoon, and we were training. And with jujitsu, it's when you're training, you're fighting. Like it's jujitsu, so you will spar. But it's like because it's jujitsu, you're not pun- you're not getting punched in the head, so you can go like eighty to hundred percent on each other. You know what I mean? As long as the other person taps when they're supposed to, it's fine. But yeah, I was just having a training session and just got put in a super weird position with like my legs against my chest, and then. I have a hyperextensive body, so I'm crazy flexible. I can stand on a gutter, on the top of the gutter, and touch my hands to the bitumen. Oh. You know, like I, I'm over flexible. And that sounds all well and good if I was going to do yoga or Pilates, <laughs> but. In certain situations, it's not very good for make someone's body. a good body. Star, really, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's why the dude had his legs against my chest. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't going to go there. I was going to try and keep it. Clear. Every time I say hey, my legs were against my chest, you watch people like do the head turn, like <laughs> <laughs> what? But yeah, he so he had his legs against my uh, sorry, my legs against my chest, and I turned my neck a certain way that it overextended and pushed into the mat, and it was a vertebral artery dissection. So it split the artery open, tore the wall. Which then caused a blood clot. You know the the terminology is in the hospitals. They can say it to me a thousand times, and I look at them, yeah, look straight through them. I don't really care for Hematoma,
0: it. Hematoma, something. You know,
1: like people that. will, yeah, and people like gravitate to like so
0: mastering
1: uh, what yeah. what their disease is or whatever. But yeah, I just I just had a tear in my artery, and it caused a blood clot to my brain. Yeah. So literally, like, within I sat up and high five the di- like he he it wasn't his fault. There was nothing that he did that could have. Yeah, that's it. Was just is what it is. I just should I should have zagged when I should have zigged or whatever. And um, yeah, I stood up and then just chaos ensued. Like absolute chaos. It was just like I sat there for about five minutes trying to catch my breath. Just thought I was exhausted. I've been working so much. I've been fighting, training. I was like, maybe I'm just tired and then I hadn't trained for like a week before this because I would hurt myself and I was just giving myself a bit of time off and then I just thought that I'd lost all my energy, in, all my stamina in the matter of a week and I was just like, I'm fucked. <laughs> anyway, yeah, the I don't know. Do you want to go right into it or yeah, do you just yeah. want to? Oh, okay, yeah. Well, then.
0: Look, I know it but I want everyone else to know it. That's the whole thing, go right into it.
1: Yeah, so I guess I was sitting on the benches trying to breathe and – Everyone's like, you are all right? And I'm like, yeah, I'm just tired. And then I went to like – I felt like numb. That numbingness was like running up my neck, into my jaw and into my eye. And I was like, what the fuck is that? So I'm touching it and wigging out. Like I couldn't really feel my face. It was like when you go to the dentist and they shoot your jaw up or whatever. I was like, this is weird. Anyway, I was like, I might just go outside and get some fresh air. So I sat outside, made it outside like pretty sketchily, like walked there but like had to grab on shit on the way and didn't again like think anything of it. I was just like, oh, I'm just dehydrated, unbalanced. Sat down and one of my professors was walking past. He's like, are you all right? And I'm like, yeah, I think I just trained too hard. Like I'm fine. Just going to get some fresh air. Meanwhile, like internally I'm freaking out. Like Something's happening. Because you know straight away, you know, you know when you're in yourself straight away, you're like, this is not good. Anyway, I was like, with my face going numb, it felt like my eye was kind of drooping. Like it, it just felt funny. I was like, I'm gonna to walk to my car. My car's a hundred meters away. I'm gonna to walk to my car. I don't want to walk back into the toilets because everyone's gonna see me and freak out if my face is, if my eye's falling out of the socket. I'm gonna to walk to my car and check myself in the in the mirror, and because I like. At this stage, I was like my eyes drooping like shit's numb because it was down my arm as well, yeah. So my whole left arm was pins and needles. I'm like I'm just going to make it to my car and, you know, if I can make it to my car, I can see if I'm all right, I can just sit down and breathe. And I got up and went to walk to my car and it was like I was instantly the drunkest I've ever been. But, yeah, so I was trying to walk in this straight line and everything was my vision was fucked. It was I was seeing four of everything. It wasn't even double. I was seeing four. So I kind of must have somehow zigzagged to it and like bounced off the walls and got to my car. Looked at my face and I was like, oh, it doesn't even look that bad. Mind you, I seen four of everything. Anyway, made it back inside. And by this stage everyone was kind of it was probably only ten minutes, right? And no one else was to know that was there because they I didn't say anything. I was just like, yeah, I'm sweet. And then by the time I got back inside, they're like, are you all right? Like, you are what? As a ghost. And I was like, I just don't feel real well. Like, I think I'm just going to, like, go to the, the doctors. And they're like, yeah, sweet. Like, because I was kind of still getting by looking like I was fine. I think I was, like, trying to mask it a little bit, you know. Not for any reason. I just was trying to, hopefully, like, if I didn't, if I could get through it, then it was, nothing was going to happen. So I went to the change rooms, went to get changed. And as soon as I took went to take my pants off, I fell and collapsed and hit the wall. And at this stage I went, and I'm not one to not ask for help. Like I don't have any problem with that. So at this stage I went, oh, I'm fucked. Like, so I, I got changed, went back out and I was clammy, I was sweaty, I was just gross. Like I, was, I couldn't walk. I couldn't walk. I had this weird... Like my leg wouldn't walk so they the instructor that saw me on the way in he comes up and he's like wait what are you doing man like and I'm like i'm just going to jump in the car and go I'll just take myself to hospital and you know check myself in and he's like hell no like come on I'll take you by this stage we got outside and he was going to get his car. I barely made it to the grass. Like the same distance again to my car, which is 100 metres. I barely made it. He had to carry me. And then he put me down on the grass while he went and got his car. And I just started throwing up everywhere. Wow. Just I couldn't. Like everything was spit. It's the dizziest I've ever been in my life. Like vertigo times 100. So then, yeah, it took me straight to Rubina Hospital. Um, Sat in the... Waiting – oh, actually, I didn't even sit in the waiting room. They just put me straight in because as soon as the chick took one look at me and I told her I couldn't feel my hand and I couldn't feel my face and my neck, everything was numb on my left side. They just straight out the back, put me on a chair, put me in the bed or whatever. So that
0: was pretty well 12 months ago.
1: Yeah, like what are we in now? Or Yeah, yeah, April last year.
0: April last year.
1: Yep. And now you've reborn. Yeah, I mean pretty much. There's, you know, healthy, much...
0: Healthy Josh?
1: Yeah, I think my body still suffers from it. It's on the outside, if you look at me, it doesn't look like I've had a stroke. Um, there's just little things that I know, like I don't have any feeling in my right hand. I don't feel temperature. I don't feel cuts. I don't, you know...
0: Not a good thing if you're a chef.
1: Yeah, it's a bit sketchy. <laughs> <laughs> Watch me cut myself every day. Um, pretty much healthy. Like there's a lot of things I still can't do, but it's not things that anyone, like, it's not to stop me.
0: What do you attribute that, like, people have a, like, I remember getting a haircut at a barber one day and he he was also an MMA fighter, this guy, who was a barber. And he, you know, I just said something about, you know, what do you do and he told me that he used to do this and then he had a stroke and then he rebuilt, rebuilt his life. So what do you attribute You getting back to this point just over 14 months after you had the stroke?
1: Yeah, I mean, you kind of got to, like, don't get me wrong, I wanted to, I was out of hospital within a week and I was like, let's go. Like, I'm ready to go back to surfing and skating and whatever. And then I was stuck on my couch. And as soon as I'd stand up, I'd be like, oh, we ain't going anywhere. We're going to sit back down. You know, I was on that, I was, I was couch, like, I was, you know, bedridden in my flat for about three months, I reckon, before anything really started to click together. They took my license off me and everything. Um, But I did start doing physio with a good friend of mine, Yasu Mackie, up at um, Pindara Physical. Great dude. And he just was like, hey, man, like, come see me. We'll sort you out. We'll get it sorted. I haven't dealt with a stroke patient for Like, I haven't done anything since uni, but I'll get onto it now. And that motherfucker just, like aced it man he should be be a professor like he just looked up everything that we needed to do and that's what we targeted it on so it was hard work you know it's hard work to get back into it but then it was like a change up man because i was it's all well and good like my body's back i still suffer fatigue and vertigo um if i lay back and put my head a certain way like vertigo kicks in i get real dizzy so I still suffer all that stuff and the fatigue is probably the gnarliest because I'm a tyler by trade and it's heavy-ass work. It's up and down all day and it's hard as fuck. So during the process of coming back, I was like, I can't, can't do this shit anymore. Like I have to – there has to be a change. Like something's it, got to give.
0: How much – like you, you obviously physically trained and you had a great physio but how much of it was mental state to get yourself back to this point. Oh. Because we'll, we'll go into what happened next.
1: Yeah. I mean, the mental the mental state was gnarly. So I actually – this was probably fast forward a year from the conversation that I had with dad yeah. on the back roads of um, wherever. And I was good. Like I was working for myself and I was, I was sweet. But – I was still like, I need to go talk to someone, you know, because I had that conversation with dad. I changed some things, but there was still some stuff there. And I was like, I just need to talk to someone that actually knows what they're talking about and figure out what's going on and make some adjustments. You know, I was trying to better myself. And it just so happened that I booked in to see a psychologist. And it just so happened I had a stroke two weeks before that appointment. So I rolled in and when I, sorry, so when I left hospital, they were like, you need to go to physio, you need to go to a psychologist and another one, I can't remember what it was. And I was like, well, I've already got a psychologist, so I've already got a physio, I'll just do that shit. And I rolled into the psychologist and he was like, hey, mate, what's up? Like, what are you here for? And I was like, well, I was here for a bunch of shit, but I had a stroke a week ago, so I don't know what the fuck we're talking about now, man. You tell me, you know. And he was like, oh, fuck. All right. Well, I guess we'll just get into it. And then, so I saw a psychologist like every other week or whatever for a a fair while. Um, But that was wild. Like, because it was really, I was helpless. You know, like my body wasn't working. And because my body wasn't working, my mind wasn't working. Because that's how my, that's how me and like me and I, that's how I move. Like I need to do stuff and I need to train and like healthy body, healthy mind and all that. You call it whatever you want. But like if I'm skateboarding, I feel good mentally. If I get hurt, like if I just skate for four hours and get crunched off all day, I still walk away with a smile on my face and I'm happy that I've been skateboarding and every other little shitty thing in my life doesn't feel that shitty. I can deal with it, you know. And then that relates to everything. Surfing and then, you know, getting punched in the head, kickboxing or going and choking people out at Muay Thai or getting choked out, you know. That's what I live. I live for that shit to make my days feel better. And I sort of had that conversation with him and I was like, I don't know what to fucking do anymore, man. Like my body doesn't work. I don't work. I can't do anything. I sit in front of the fucking TV. Like this is not the person that I am and this I don't want to be here if this is what it's going to be like. And he kind of, he turned to me and he goes, you just got to sit in your shit. And I was just like, you motherfucker. Like, and I didn't get it. You know, I didn't understand what he meant. He goes, you just need to sit in your shit. And this is, you know what, Josh? And he goes, everything, you know, and we spoke about earlier life and like all my anxiety and depression and stuff like that. We'd already had these conversations. And he just turned and said, sit in your shit. And you know what, Josh? He goes, this is the best time to do it. And you know why? And I go, why? He goes, because you can't run from it. You can't get up and go skateboarding. You can't get up and go to Muay Thai. You can't do any of that. You can't go to work. You can't You can't overindulge yourself in an 80-hour work week. You have to sit in this shit and figure out what the fuck's making you tick and why the fuck you feel like this.
0: So let's just give reference to, you know, people who have been listening to my podcast <coughs> over the last three or four episodes would have heard me say this every time. The uh, treasure you most seek is in the darkest part of the cave you most fear to go.
1: Yeah, so that's, I listened to you say it the other day, and I was like, "Sit in your shit."
0: Total reference just to just it. "sit in your shit." You and, know, you know, life is a
1: mess. I think he just he just dirtied it up a little bit because he knew I was a bit. Well, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm a bit of a Star
0: <laughs> Wars freak, and it actually comes from Yoda.
1: Yeah, but yeah, no, 100. percent Like that's that's where it is, man. Like you would just fucking sit, sit, and just be with be with it and figure it out and so find it. Once,
0: once you started that. Yeah,
1: once I started sitting, you know, sitting with it, I was just – I walked out of that one that one meeting with him and was just like, what the fuck? Like, what does he mean? You know, like that was really struggled with it. I was like, what is he talking about? Yeah. And then as the days progressed, I was like, yeah, okay. Yeah. Like,
0: Otherwise yeah. interpreted, be okay with the shit.
1: Yeah, be okay with not being okay. Yeah. Yeah, like just – it's okay to – like, you know – you know, it's it's fine to not be okay right now. Yeah. You know, whereas I'd never give myself the opportunity to feel like that. Yeah. I'd move yeah. through it.
0: And it actually – that actually leans back into remove all expectations on yourself. Yeah. And I think that's a big part of uh, mental and emotional maturity is being removing the expectations that we have on ourselves so we're okay with the mess. Yeah, 100%. That is.
1: I think I was like – I had the accident and then I was like, right, that's it, like I've had a stroke, but I need to get back straight into what I was doing. Yeah. But it wasn't possible. Like it was it was impossible. Like I couldn't I could never go back to that. Like the how I was doing it then. Yeah. But I had to f- learn that.
0: Okay, so let's get to the next big topic, which was the whole topic of this podcast and it's been framed by everything you've said. How did you, what happened, when, when or how did you get to this reset where you decided that tradey life was not going to be any, is not for you anymore. Tyler is not for you anymore. You had a dream to cook and you had a dream to open a sandwich shop. And so you're like, where, like in 12 months, coming from having a stroke, being flat out busy, training like a elite sports person to actually completely shifting. And you can, everyone can draw a conclusion here. Oh, well, he had a stroke and he dealt with his emotional stuff. But I don't know if that's true. No, 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 that wasn't it at all. So, yeah, just give. Yeah,
1: I guess. So, I, when I was a kid, I wanted to be a cook. I wanted to be a chef. Dad was a chef. And that's not necessarily, it wasn't like, oh, dad's a chef. I want to be a chef. Some of my earliest memories are at Nan's house cooking food with none, you know, making Anzac biscuits and shit like that. So I always had a passion for cooking, no matter where I went. I lived in Canada, I lived I lived in Canada, and then I worked in, like, a steakhouse, cooking, and I was a dishy. And they were like, yeah, we got a dishy job for you. And I was like, yeah, sweet. And I'd, I'd get in there and smash dishes out and then run over to the prep board. And I was just a snowboard bum. I just wanted to go there and snowboard. But, like, I got in the kitchen and then was like, this is sick. Like, everyone's yelling at everyone. And screaming. High energy. And pots and pans are getting thrown around and people are fucking up left, right and centre. Like this is rad. Everyone calling each other like fuckheads and stuff like that, I'm in. Like you've got me. I'm sold. (laughs) So yeah, I did that and I used to quickly smash dishes out and the head chef Paul, I'd I'd run over and, oh, cut onions. I'll do that. And I'll just sit there and cut onions. And he'd come up to me one day, he goes, why do you keep doing those? lists and I'm like oh, I've got no dishes to do because these are all slow and I don't I'm sweet I'm smashing it out and he's like do you want to cook or something and I was like fuck yeah so then yeah he um, he was like yeah you can start cooking or whatever and then injured myself broke both my ankles or whatever in the snow like three weeks after he asked me uh. and I was just like you motherfucker like uh. this is all I-, I was like more stoked that I was going to work in the kitchen than I was going to get to snowboard you know So then come home, fast forward, whatever, and I used to live with a maiden Mermaid and Benny, he owns Palm Springs and opened all-time coffee in Mermaid and we just used to talk shit and whatever and I was like, man, the Gold Coast, it just, this was four or five years ago. The Gold Coast just needs like a sandwich shop. Like it'd be sick. The bakeries are shit. There's nowhere. Like you just want to run in, grab a... You just defended a lot of bakeries. Yeah, I know. Whatever. That's okay. Shove your egg and lettuce up your ass, if you ask me. <laughs> um, shove your cold roast beef where the sun don't shine. Um, I love it. But yeah, like, I was like, there's such a niche market for that. And it's it's not being done. You know, like good sandwiches. And it's good sandwiches. That's a name. That's our slogan. Like, we live by that shit. But yeah, fast forward. Had the stroke. Was like, can't do this shit anymore. Like, can't toil or whatever. And um, actually met my business partner, Jay, through jujitsu, And he's in the same category, you know. He's worked in this industry his whole life of construction and we were just like, man, this sucks. Like, it's depressing. There's nothing good about it. Money's great, whatever, but whatever. And he's like, I... And, you know, he had this idea he was going to open a little... He lives down in Mullum. He was going to open a little bar down in Mullum. And it fell through or whatever. And then we were just shooting the shit I guess one day and we're like let's fucking do something you know let's let's do something and it was originally like gonna be a hole in the wall where we just sold sandwiches and a couple of coffees and now it's you know we've got a 300 square meter space (laughs) it's a beast yeah and it's way we bit off way more than we could chew (laughs) especially not you know we went into that shit blind we we didn't know what we were fucking doing Mm. we had some not oh, much. I, I can, you, I can you've have. You've got a,
0: some pretty good efficacy behind you with your dad.
1: Yeah, but. and I've got a, I can kind of. Like I'm pretty quick to learn things, so I can look at something and be like, "Oh, this is the the steps it needs to take to get to where it needs to be." You know, and Jay as well. Yeah. You know, we we did a lot of research and we figured it out, but found a place and secured it, and was like, well, "Let's fucking go!" I guess. Yeah. And yeah, we definitely bit off way more than we could chew though. <laughs> so
0: now, and the sandwich shop's now open.
1: Sandwich shops open, it's, it's running. It's
0: it's amazing. Yeah, Great it's sandwiches. It's good sandwiches. It's good, that's good sandwiches. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. It's good sandwiches. And it is. Um, but yeah,
1: I suppose that was the that was the change up. It just was to a point where something's gotta give. And I the tiling that I was doing was very high end. So it was not and if i can't do something to the best of my ability i'm not going to do it at all unfortunately that's the kind of character i am that if i can't give it a hundred percent it's getting no percent yeah you know i'm not half in it so like i can't lift these heavy ass tiles and my eyes are kind of cooked now so you know if i couldn't do it as perfectly as i used to be able to do it then i'm not doing it at all so it Would you say that's a stubborn way to think?
0: No, no, it's a good way to think. I I think it's an excellent—that's the excellence we have. within us. as long as it doesn't push us down a perfectionism road, perfectionism is not a good thing.
1: No, hundred percent. Yeah, but
0: excellence is always a good thing to anchor into, and um, that's what we always strive for in everything we do.
1: Yeah, I think you're right in saying it's excellence, not perfectionism.
0: Yeah, and I would say that about because I would—I
1: would never call myself a perfectionist.
0: No, but you do strive for excellence, excellence, yeah, and everything you do. So, so would you? It was—it was a dream.
1: Yeah, it was. Yeah, it was a dream. I always wanted to cook and, and work in kitchens, and yeah, it it was a dream.
0: So It was almost like you were pushed into this dream.
1: Yeah, it was one of those. Uh, the opportunity came, and I've kind of learned over the years to not not shy away from opportunity because it's not going to get you anywhere, and an opportunity not taken is just one missed. Yeah, you know, and I think, yeah, it just was like. Like if I don't do it, I'll be sitting here being like, damn, I should have done that, yeah. you know.
0: Well, I'm super proud of you for it because like 14 months ago you had a stroke and 12 months before that you were done with life and you had that incredible call from your dad. And then a year later, like and as a second dad, like I can, I'm super proud that you've gone, I'm going to chase my dream here and you've gone and done something like this, and I know that you guys at present are on the razor's edge because that's what new business is. It's it's a lot of fun, but also a lot of pressure. And, um, and so, how are you like running through all the, the the basically the mental stuff that you've run through? How are you dealing right now with the pressure of new business, pressure of a partnership, pressure of growth, pressure of of holding it for staff, pressure of money?
1: Oh man. My, Like,
0: just thinking, like, 24 24 months ago, you were on the edge of this is it.
1: Yeah, so maybe we just rewind a little bit because if we go 24 months ago, I was like, yeah, I'm I'm pacing out sort of thing. And then last year I had the stroke. And then between last year with the stroke and then sitting in the shit with a psychologist, like, I kind of skipped, I kind of brushed over it. But... There was a stage there with, like, I was, again, like, back in that, that headspace where I was like, I am oh, fucking want to be here, you know. And I had that support network around me. I had mum, I had dad, I had everyone around me. And the psychologist, like, I'd go see that psychologist once a month or whatever. And then this is just going to give it a bit of backstory sort of thing. I went to that psychologist. Sorry, I called the doctors and was like, hey, I want to book in. I've got to see the psychologist again. And she goes, oh, she fucking all rattled. It was like a Monday morning and I was like, oh, this chick's hungover as fuck. Like, what's wrong with her? I'm like, oh, I just want to see Dr. such and such. Um, and she's like, oh, he actually left. And I was like, oh, shit. Like, what? He left. Like, that was my, my boy. That's was my doctor. Like, what? Do where'd he go? And she goes, oh, yeah. she, she was like, you can't. Yeah, uh, he's just gone, like, he's just left, he left on the weekend, and I was like, all right, well, that's a weird conversation, uh, I'll just, yes, I'll just book in to see, like, rate, right, my doctor, and she's like, yeah, that's fine, whatever, or Dr. Jim, sorry, and um, it was such a weird conversation, man, because I was like, what the fuck, and she's like, you just have to see your normal doctor and make another Appointment with a new psychologist, and I was like, "What the fuck did he? What are you talking about?" Anyway, went to the doctor, and was like, "He's like, hey, Josh, what are you here for?" And this is just my normal GP, you know, but he refers to the other psychologist. And I'm like, "Oh, I got to get a new fucking psychologist." Like, Cliff's bailed, and he's like, "Yeah, wild that he killed himself, hey?" And I was just like, "What? What? What?" And he's like, "Oh yeah, oh," and it, you, you could see it in his eyes. He was like oh, fuck, I shouldn't have said that, like, so then I was left, you know, with the, 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 he was great, he was a great psychologist, like Cliff, he was a legend, but then you you just sit back in your chair and go, well, this motherfucker is telling me not to kill myself, and he's just gone and done it, like, and you, you're kind of left defeated, you know, you sit back and you go, well. Fuck, like, what do I do now? Because if he doesn't make it out, what the fuck is it? You know, he's got all the tools. Essentially, you would think he has all the tools. I know now that...
0: The knowledge of all the tools.
1: The knowledge of all the tools, yeah. Whether or not he uses them or not, obviously he didn't. But, yeah, I just sat back and was like, fuck, man, like, this is going to be a rough, rough road now, you know. And... Jim was – Jim, my GP, was like, oh, look, we'll, we'll book you into another psychologist, you know, see what happens. Went to this other psychologist and I was already off it, you know. I was I was, I was still like in my own head with depression and anxiety and like suff- – I was still suffering with the stroke and and then to put that – I'm not saying he put it on me. I don't mean it like that. But then to have that on me as well, like walking around being like – and it's in the back of your head like – he, he couldn't make it and he's a psychologist like i've got no fucking chance cuz he had all the tools and now he took them with him but um so, so he's when, a,
0: he, and he's he's the one who told you to sit in shit
1: he's the, yeah yeah that's exactly right and it's like hey motherfucker like you can't tell me if you're not going to practice what you preach you know but you know you never know what someone's going through Like that was his own and i think i felt more sorry because he'd he'd armed me with a lot of tools, with a sit in your shit thing. Like I was getting, you know, I was I was getting help in the sense that I was helping myself and I was kind of coming through the tail end of having the stroke and I was feeling a bit better and I had all these good people around me. I felt worse for the people that had only like just started going to see him, you know, or weren't necessarily getting better and then have for them all I could think about which is such a weird thing was all these other people that are clients of his that had to have that news broken to them
0: it comes back to your golden rule
1: exactly and it does you know and and that it also comes back to what you asked at the start is like me being vulnerable does it push people away and stuff like fuck that I'll be vulnerable all day of the week if it means that those people can feel like they have someone to talk to.
0: And it just goes to also show that nobody is failable. Nobody oh, 100%, is.
1: 100%. No one's safe. No
0: one's safe from that. No, no. And we all need to decompress. Yeah. And we all need to talk to someone.
1: That's exactly right. Even
0: the, Even the ones that study it.
1: Yeah. Well, I think, yeah, like a psychologist needs an even better psychologist. Yeah. You know? Uh, as unfortunate as that coach is. Needs coach, coach needs a better coach. Coach needs a better counsel, coach. Yeah. Everyone needs someone better than them to help him. Yeah. you know. So I think – so getting back to the original question you asked me, with all that happening, it built up a, a sense of resilience in me. That I was like, you know, I – like, yeah, he killed himself. He's a psychologist. He was my psychologist. That's whatever. That's not about me. That That – whatever happened with him was not about me that was his own stuff going on but he did arm me with enough tools that i can handle when it when new stuff arises like this business like don't get me wrong it's fucking stressful dude like relationships suffer friendships suffer everything suffers time suffers money suffers like it's all there and definitely days that it fucking overwhelms me and I just want to sit inside and climb into a ball and not be heard by anyone or seen. But that doesn't it doesn't do us any good. Like you just gotta fucking roll with the punches, really.
0: Well, what I'd what I'd like to add is like I know I asked you how do you deal with that now? What what's been the thing to help you what what I'd like to add here is, is an observation of mine over you, over this over this whole story is it's like you had every opportunity to act like a victim, but you didn't.
1: Yeah. I mean,
0: like you had a stroke. You had struggled with depression and stuff and put on work sites. And yeah, there was a framework around you and there's a network around you that helped you. you come, fast forward, something happened where you went, I'm not going to be a victim of being a stroke. I'm not going to be a, a victim of mental illness. I'm, I'm going to chase my dreams. And so, where was the. Do you recognize there was a line in the sand you drew? Or do you, it, it was there, or is that something that's always innate?
1: I think it was something that's always innate. I've been like, you can complain about your life as much as you like. Doesn't mean people are going to change it for you, you know? Unfortunately, you can sit there and whinge and bitch, that's and good. I'm sick, I'm, you know my leg hurts, I'm fat, whatever, like whatever it is, like I'm an alcoholic, I drink too much. Well, unfortunately, no one can stop you drinking, you know. No one can stop you eating food or like no one can make you go exercise. Like you have to fucking do it yourself, you know. And it boils back down to your internal dialogue of being like, well, whatever it is, like I've got to be the one that makes the decision to go do it. And I think I could sit here all day and be like, Whoa, it's whoa is me, like fuck I had a stroke or whatever. But I'll just be sitting there thinking about it the whole time and like I don't want to be defined by the fact that I had an injury. Like I'll fucking fuck that. Like I barely bring it up with people, you know, if if someone like pushes like I won't meet someone and go, Hi, I'm Josh, I had a stroke. It's, it's not, it's not it your do- identity at all. It doesn't define me. No. It's just something that fucking happened. And like I'd rather forget about it than have people be like, oh, what happened? You know, like have this whole, not with you, I don't mean like that, but just with random people on the street or whatever. Like it's, it's nothing. Like and if I sit back and let it define me, then it's going to define me. It's going to take over and then I will sit there and think about how I can't feel my fucking hand all day and get depressed about that where, or I could just be like, oh, I can't feel my hand. Watch this. I touch a hot water. I don't feel it. Like, sick. <laughs> I'll check the temperature of the pan. Bang. <laughs> yeah. Burn. Whatever. Yeah. Well everyone else is suffering. with. Yeah, you got to kind of take some shit in your the stride. The burning of human flesh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But you've got to take some – sometimes you've got to take the shit in your stride. Yeah. You know, come, I think come that's, back to that
0: advice. Hey? I
1: think that's important is to sit in your shit. Yeah. But, like, if if you've got some bad shit that's happened to you, you know, you've got to fucking roll with it. Uh, mate,
0: that's awesome. Okay, so we're getting pretty close to the end of our time together on this uh, episode. A couple of questions I want to ask you, but what would you say to your six-year-old self, knowing like you're now 30? Yeah. And thinking back about everything that's gone, let's just say it like this, everything that's happened for you rather than to you.
1: I Yeah. I think I like literally, it'd probably be like, Whatever you think you're going to worry about, don't fucking worry about.
0: Oh, that's really good advice.
1: Yeah. Like, no one knows what the fuck they're doing. And we are all literally just trying to figure it out time and time again. And, like, yeah, people have it – some people have it more together than others and all that. But, like – Or do they? Or do they, exactly. And you strip it down and, and you know, have that person naked – Not naked, but you know what I mean? Like to their bare minimum. and They don't know what they're fucking doing, man. They're just faking it till they make it. And sometimes that sounds great, like faking it till you make it. And I used to use that saying a lot, but like it's fucking stupid. Figure it out and make it, you know. Face,
0: Face it till you make it.
1: Yeah, exactly. Like figure it out and make it. Yeah. So yeah, just probably that.
0: Yeah, that's good. Yeah. All right. Well, another question is... Tell us about your beautiful lady, and I'm not going to say a name because I screwed that up twice. <laughs> She's
1: going to hate everything I say right now. She's kill me. Well, you, you,
0: I asked you to. I asked you to fill out uh, a form, um, and I got an impression out of that explanation about some stuff. So I want you to tell us, everyone else that's listening to this. I don't remember what I wrote on the form. <laughs> well, um, I, I, nah. I, know, I know that you are, have been a ladies' man. Love the ladies.
1: Casey, I wasn't Casey.
0: You've spread your seed far and wide. hope she knows this. Over your life. But I've never seen someone so smitten with the way you wrote about her.
1: Yeah, you, I now mean... Now you can
0: tell everyone else that.
1: Yeah. Well, she's, she's a legend. She's the best. Like, she... I, fuck, it even goes back to sitting in your shit, man. Like, she is the person for me that I can sit with and have a terrible day and just come home and sit down in fucking silence, you know. We don't have to say shit to each other just be silence. But, like, the fact that she's there is so soothing and so much better than being alone. You know, not that I have a problem with being alone. I'm quite independent. But to be – and, like, to be alone with someone is such a great feeling. And, like, I think, like, I could – Jazz it up all day and you know, shout it from the rooftops of like the way I feel about it. But I think that in itself encompasses the whole thing. Like yeah, just being able to like she's the person, she's my person to be alone with when I'm alone is like for me that's like the greatest thing.
0: Yeah, that's beautiful. Really is. So is there um wedding? Oh, um, I don't think so. No, I'm just
1: kidding. <laughs> <laughs> all right, what is your mission? Um, yeah, so I thought about this one a fair bit when you sent me the, the you know, the brief questions that you were going to touch on. Um. I think it's, you know, and it's probably pretty clear from the conversation we've had, but it's just to help people and be there for people when they need it. Yeah. You know, don't get me wrong, it's not an open door policy. You can't just roll into my house and be like, oh, what's up? Let yeah. me stay for a week. I'm feeling shitty. <laughs> But, like, you know, it's – if people need it, like, I'll be there. And I think, like, I've tried to live my life like that no matter what it is, you know, like, hey, I need a hand. It's like the smaller shit, man. Like, hey, I need a hand to – like, Miles the other day, like, i got to take the fucking water tank to the, the trash. Like, can you come help me? Like, yeah, sure. But I do those things not because I want anything out of it, you know. And I think that's my mission is to do things without the expectation of something in return. And to live a life through that and show other people that you can live a life through that, you know, I think we all get lost, caught up in like, oh, I did that for them so they do that for me. Yeah, "Eh, Fuck that shit. Like do shit because you want to do it for someone, you know. Huge, true generosity. Yeah, just – Real real generosity. Exactly, like 100% true generosity. And like, yeah, I think that's pretty much it, man. Just my mission is just to like help people, help others – be genuine make good sandwiches make good sandwiches make good choices
0: make good choices hey, yeah.
1: yeah make good choices
0: so um yeah i was gonna ask the last question i had here was how can i help
1: yeah i have an answer for this yeah cool It's probably the only one i had an answer for <laughs> um
0: mind you you've spoken really well and it's been a really good episode so i'm really pumped for it
1: till i hear myself back and then i'll be dead off it um no i think yeah exactly i think um I had this conversation with Miles the other day about you and it it's so good to see you doing all this stuff and becoming the complete person that you are and I've never seen you 30 years, right? Like 30 years we've fucking known each other for. I don't even know how I'm still alive and like to say that I've been alive for 30 years is so weird to me. I still feel like a 17-year-old kid. Um, But to like have grown up with you like, I literally, like, you're a second family. And the way that you are now is just so true to your being. And, like, you help me every day. Like, well, I see each other. We see each other nearly every day now. So I don't know how you're not fucking yeah. sick of seeing my hair.
0: office is, like, two doors from...
1: The only person at MC's that gets a special sandwich. Yeah. Fucking egg Absolutely. cheese, no Dijon. It's Life. called a
0: knife. Oh, I'm not going to give that
1: up. But, yeah, like, you... And the person that you are now, and I said this to Miles, I was like, he's his truest version of himself. And it's so beautiful to see because everything he's doing is for other people. And you you stick so strongly to that and you do everything for everyone around you. And it's like, it's just so great. Like, I don't need anything from you. But yet, I fucking still do. And I don't even know that I do need it. But yet, you come to me and you're like, what about this or whatever? And we have a conversation and that one conversation changes my day, oh. you know. So, like, I – you help. You help everyone that is around you Thanks. every day.
0: Thanks, mate. That was not the reason for the question. For no, the question. I know.
1: And that's what I mean. I know that it wasn't, like, directed like that. But, like, that's what I take away from that. Like, I read that and I was like, you you help. That's all you do is help. Oh,
0: that's beautiful, mate. I really appreciate you saying that. Actually – gets straight to my heart.
1: <laughs> yeah, he reckons he was going to make me cry. and now Yeah, well, he's no, he's, he's, mate, he's
0: brought some tears to my eyes this this episode. We have one last thing to do and you don't know anything about this. Um So it's three very quick questions and you've got to answer them very quickly. Yeah, sweet. Okay, number one, who is your hero? My dad. Yeah. Number two, what is the worst thing or worst piece of advice anyone has ever given you? Shit.
1: Probably skateboarding, and they're like, "You can do it." <laughs> <laughs> you're standing at the top of table. Miles you're standing can... at the top of Table Band it's Street. Probably, yeah, 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 hundred percent. It's miles it. going. Meet me at the meet me at the surf, and I'll I'll bomb the Table Band straight hill. And he goes, "You can do it."
0: <laughs> That's the worst piece of advice. Worst piece of advice.
1: Okay, so what is the
0: best thing that someone or piece of advice that someone's ever given you? Sitting your shit. Yeah, great. Hundred percent. Well, there you go. Thanks so much, mate. Look, if you've got anything you want to say to anybody right now, what would it be and just go for it, rip it off. And...
1: Yeah, nah. I mean, th- fuck, thanks for having me. It's been fun. I was, I was pretty nervous but it's it's been good. Um, It's a little bit deep and whatever but th- th- fuck, those conversations have to happen sometimes and, you know, don't shy away from them. I think if, if you feel like people are kind of wigging on that, you know, and they're in those places where they're not, looking like they're doing real well fucking reach out like there's the only regret you'll ever have is standing at someone's funeral being like I wish I fucking asked if everything was okay yeah you know you, you never regr- you're never going to regret being like god I fucking wish I didn't make sure he knew that everything was okay or she knew that everything was okay like you know just fuck have those conversations
0: that's awesome advice well mate thanks so much for being here with us today we're just uh, like if someone wants to reach out to you how do they do that? Uh, I mean we, they all know where they can get good sandwiches it's on West yeah. Burley Road West Burley, Burley Road for Rhodes. the sandwiches.
1: Um, no nah, I mean I guess Instagram whatever
0: we'll put some we'll put some connections in the show notes for Josh yeah if uh, if you want if you've loved what I've had to say and you just want to ask him a question you can't ignore it but if you want to ask him I a probably, question I'm sure he won't
1: I probably won't ignore it.
0: you've heard it everyone and we look forward to the next episode. Uh, with what we're going to be delivering. But Josh, thanks so much for being here today, mate. You're such a legend. I love it.
1: Thank you. And love you. Love you.
0: That was the end of another episode. Thanks so much for tuning in today. If you've enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to rate, review and subscribe as this will help me get my message out to more people. If you've heard anything today that has resonated with you, please feel free to reach out to me on Instagram at nathcartledge. All the other ways to contact me will be in the show notes. I'd love to chat and hear your thoughts. Can't wait to ConfLab next week.